This ad-free podcast is part of your Slate Plus membership. Lucky you. Hello and welcome back to Big Mood, Little Mood with Danny Lavery. With me in the studio this week is Uli Boita Cohen, a New York-based city documentarian, artist, and the creator of Subway Book Review. She explores belonging to a time and place through writing and photography. Her first book, Between the Lines, Stories from the Underground, will be published on October 26th. Uli, welcome to the show. Hi, Danny. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for being here. This is very exciting because right before we started uh, recording the show, we discovered that based on our proximity to various subway stations, that it is in fact quite possible that we have run into one another on the subway in the past without even realizing it. I won't. I won't get more specific than that, obviously, um, because I want to. I want to let our listeners imagine what subway stations those might be. But uh, I thought that was quite cool. I think so too, Danny. I think we. I think you and I deserve our anonymity. We have to keep our mystery level very high. I. I would love some anonymity. Yes, that is fantastic. And um, more importantly, I think we all deserve a chance to, uh, you know, be secretly observed at some point by somebody doing a, a series on the subway uh, of which you can form a part. I, I always want to think I've just made some documentarians day. Mm, absolutely. And you know, that said, I do think that's one of the pleasures of the pandemic is to find out who your actual neighbors are. Don't you think that has been something that has been a very, very unexpected blessing just in terms of becoming hyper local and just really seeing who's around you? I love that idea. In theory, I have three wonderful neighbors and one comically bad neighbor. So, you know, I think it's one of those things where it's like, it's a great idea, get to know the neighbors. And then if you get to know one neighbor enough that you would like to know them less, it's a little hard to unring that bell because they already know your name and where you live. It's so true. It's so true. I'm keckling over here, but you know, on mute to not interrupt you. Well, I appreciate that. And um, I simply wish that Redacted will happen. How are your neighbors? My neighbors, um, I mean, this sounds very cheesy, but I freaking love my neighbors. We have um, maybe 16 units in our building. You know, the New York life is such that um, some of us don't uh, have as much space as others. I'm blessed with a two-bedroom apartment in Fort Greene. I will say that. I think I can, I think I will disclose my general neighborhood. Yes, I will. Great. And um, there are 16 units in our building. Everybody says hi to each other. People who move in and who are the, the newbies, you know, we, we train them to display neighborly behavior. Some of them love it. Some of them probably think I'm totally nuts. I will say hi and introduce myself until they greet me back by name. I'm that person. But then on the upside, you know, I will also water your plants. I will also hold the door open for you. I will also take in your packages. Like, you know, I reward you back for your neighborly behavior, (laughs) basically. And um, I was also that kind of person who arrived in New York eight years ago and then immediately introduced myself to the entire block. And I think that is totally my small village upbringing that just where that was so ingrained in me that you say hi and that you that you find out, you know, who owns the hero shop and who the guy in the 
pet store is who sells you cat food. And so now I know that that's Chris. And um, the interactions have, of course, become infinitely more exciting since then. Yeah. Yeah. There's there's really something to be said uh, for the pleasure of uh, like easy recognition in a small like one block radius where it's just like if I work hard, I can make myself a famous person on this block. That's right. We still get to, you know, like it's like the small fish in a big pond. But then on your block, you can be the big fish in a small pond. Even in New York, you can make that happen for yourself. Or as the fabulous Gail Anderson said it um, in an interview that I did with her during the pandemic about a book she was reading, which was, of course, Going Into Town by Ross Chass. Um, She says it's nice to be remembered. And it's nice to know that someone knows how you take your food order and that you don't require a straw. And I was like, that is really sweet. I really like that sentiment. I like that. I think there are different moments in which I enjoy uh, the pleasure of being remembered. And then there are moments where I enjoy the pleasure of of being forgotten or the right to sort of slip back into anonymity. And I think it's really nice to be able to um, mix and match between those things. So. Mm, that's true. When do you like to be anonymous, Danny? Mm, sometimes just if I am sort of feeling an anonymous kind of a day. And sometimes if I am simply looking for like expediency or efficiency or I'm like longing to return to a bubble of privacy, um, I don't want to be memorable or stopped in conversation. I want to be left to my own devices. And in those moments, the politest or the kindest thing feels like uh, recognizing that that desire to be left alone. But um, it, that also feels fairly easy to like scale up or scale down depending on my own preference. And that's what the, the joy of over-the-ear headphones are for. Um, as for signaling, true. don't perceive me today. That's very true. Very, very true. If someone yeah. has them on, I will not approach. Now, also, I think like with the masks, uh, they make that a little bit easier to to just kind of like slip in and out of things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm just passing through. I got my headphones on my mask. Don't don't worry about me. I'm fine. Closed for business. So speaking of uh, trying to read people, uh, I, I think this is a good moment to to move into our first letter. And um, I'll go ahead and read this one. It's a little bit longer. Uh, the subject is Angry Agony Ant. Friend A, friend B, and I have known each other since university, more than 10 years ago. At that time, we were inseparable. We drifted apart a bit after graduation, but reconnected during the pandemic and started having weekly video chats. A and B lived in the same city, so they were a bit closer to each other than to me. During that time, B got into an incredibly turbulent relationship. She was never sure if he was, quote, her type, and that uncertainty, combined with the pandemic stress, seemed to really impact her mental health. Our chats became focused on supporting her and often left me drained. She told us she didn't want advice, just to be heard, so that's what A and I did. This went on for almost a year, with B never being sure of the relationship and often being really distressed on calls. A few months ago, I told her I thought she should end things. I said that it was painful to see her in so much distress, and I was telling her because I cared. During the call, she seemed receptive, but afterwards, she completely stopped talking to both A and me. She sent A a message saying she felt attacked by our intervention and like she had lost a safe space to talk. A told her we had given our advice with the best of intentions and truthfully that it had been difficult to hear the same thing every week for months on end. They're in an uneasy truce, but A says she can't trust B again in the same way. I didn't even get a message. I reached out once and heard nothing. I'll see her periodically when I visit others in that city and honestly, I really miss her as a friend. 
Is it worth explaining how much her cutting me out hurt me? Should I take A's approach and keep things surface level? I've had a really rough few months and would love her support, but I'm angry and hurt and don't know if I can trust her. Where to begin? Where to begin? It is such a good question, right? I mean, so many good questions are in there. First of all, I need to disclose something to you, Danny. I love giving advice. I really do. I'm a triple water sign. I'm a cancer son. I'm everybody's favorite fake mom. So this is truly a dream come true to be able to dissect these questions with you. It's like chef's kiss. This, I want to say I somewhat relate because I was part of a triplet for most of my teenage and then high school life. And being a triplet is, and by that I mean like three friends, right? Three mm-hmm. BFFs. Three BFFs. BFFs? What is it? Why did I just trip it up on like that? It sounds like you're saying it right every time. So I'm sort of losing my grip on reality because it seems <laughs> like you're just repeating a correct thing again and again. I think it's because Mercury is retrograde right now, and we are indeed traveling through different dimensions of time is and space. It really? I feel like mm-hmm. people say it's in retrograde all the time, and I have no sense of like how often does being in retrograde happen? Constantly. Constantly. Yeah, so it's not constantly. that big a deal then. How can, it, how can it be that bad if it happens all the time? It can also be really good. Sometimes it just slides your conversations into the right place, which is, I think, what these three friends are looking for. So back to them. I okay. would say that... The first question that I would ask is, has the friend who has clearly been in this turbulent relationship for a long time considered to speak to a professional instead of her friends? And by that, I mean a therapist who can work on some of these things that are clearly really distressing this friend. That would be my first question, because I think friends are very amazing to be kind of a safety net and to be um, people who can catch you when you fall or when you are faltering in your decision making. But I really think that friends can only go so far. And to be someone's absolute kind of pillar of support for that long of a time, which I think they said a year Mm -hmm. they were there for her every week. That is so much to me. That is that is like. These people to me have the other friends who are not in who are not in the troubled relationship and who are not distressed to show up for your friend every week for an entire year. That isn't that a lot, Danny? I mean, I don't know. To me, that's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's yeah. hold the phone. Yeah. I mean, I, I you know, I, I, I don't want to go too far in the direction of like accusing friend B uh of like excessive fragility, but it struck me as like a little Pollyanna-ish to say, I'm going to complain about the same situation for an hour every week, every time we talk for a year. And because I said at the beginning, I don't want advice, that just means like blanket rule. No one can ask me to change the subject or say, hey, I've now logged 52 hours of hearing this about your relationship. I actually have an opinion. Like it's like calling shotgun or something, just like you're never allowed to say anything about this to me. And that feels like, that feels pretty rich. I think it was actually... If anything, the letter writer and, and her other friend could have said something sooner. I would agree. I think that I I don't see any healthy boundaries here. You know what I mean? Like, no one is displaying any healthy boundaries. The The friends who are listening are not displaying healthy boundaries because they're just letting this person rip through her own shit week after week. And then the person who's in this relationship just doesn't have any boundaries with this person who's troubling her in her partnership. And so to me... 
That's why, you know, that's why I'm like, how, 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 how many of them are in therapy? Because honestly, I mean, therapy is the best thing for um, setting boundaries and also for learning when you're in a pattern that you absolutely cannot break on your own. And yeah, I will I mean, say, be, I do also want know, to acknowledge sometimes it can be, you know, a great way for someone to, to learn like therapeutic language to continue doing the same bullshit over and over again. Sure. Hopefully it would help. But uh, person B also does sound like the kind of person who would say they would just go to therapy for the express purpose of learning more reasons why no one's allowed to say anything to them that they don't want to hear. This is also true. The fact that in the very beginning it was said, I do not want to receive advice, that like really tripped me up. That really tripped me up because then the point is really just like, I'm kind of like, is friend B, is that a Scorpio? Is that just a person who loves to suffer and who just kind of like gets off on um on being the being the victim, you know, like if if you explicitly say no advice, what do you want? Like, what is the point? Yeah, it would be one thing I think to say I want to talk to my friends about a situation that's frustrating me, and I don't want advice. That would make sense to me for one phone call. Certainly, that seems like a legitimate framing. Um, but to say never give me any advice, but I am going to discuss this. It sounds like almost exclusively for a year. That is incredibly unreasonable. And then to respond with somebody saying, look, I think you should dump the guy. It's like, now I don't feel safe. This is so distressing. This was an attack. Like, that's just, boy, that feels to me like uh, playing up an injury in a soccer game and like limping off the field so that you can, you know, I, I, I like that just feels really, really overblown to me. I agree. We're not having it. I also would be curious why they drifted apart after graduation in the first place, you hmm. know? Um, like, is this a type of behavior that this friend has displayed before where she just needs to be the victim and just needs to hear herself suffer out loud and then also needs to suck up time? She, You know, like energy vampires are very real. And I think that they occur in different places. I'm also not like totally hating on friend B because like, I mean, I am sounding like I am right now, but I'm not in my heart because we all have been in relationships that suck. But I think when your people are showing up for you and these other two friends are showing up for this person and you still cannot see yourself reflected, hear yourself talk, then something is going on to the degree that your friends are just simply not responsible for and you need to find other avenues. But again, like, what does this person even want? Like, what do you think they truly want? What do you think their motivation here really is? Yeah, I mean, it, it kind of just sounds like they, they want someone to just listen to them spin their wheels about the same thing repeatedly. Um, and any even friendly or gentle pushback on that gets like a pretty, I mean, obviously it, it's rare that you're going to advise a friend, hey, I think you should break up with your partner and you're going to get, oh my gosh, thank you. This is great advice. I feel fantastic. Like at best, you're going to get, you know, mild pushback, I think. But you know what? I'll be honest, Dania, I've done that before. I've done that with my best friend because she kept going back to this guy and then would complain to me how he was treating her. And that she was like, someone told me once, like she was like going to the hardware store for milk, you know, just like totally unavailable, like not even in stock what she wanted from him. And at some point I said to her, I love you so much. I will not speak to you about this again, but it's completely unproductive and you deserve so much better. And you know what? I only said that once and it, it, it fell on fertile ground. And until this day, which is, you know, legit 
eight years later, she's married to a wonderful man by now. She still says to me, that was such a huge moment in our friendship because she could tell that I loved her and that she could trust me and that it was just time to really like pack her bags and move on. So it did work. It did work. Well, I'm so glad that it worked in that instance. And, you know, I think one of the things that sort of strikes me about this letter is that your, your friend has been spending a year just really obsessing about what to do with this relationship. And it sounds like in your friendship, you had a single difficult conversation and she stopped talking to you. And I don't mean to say like you should go back to her and argue like because you have spent this many hours uh, agonizing over your boyfriend, you should therefore be forced to talk to me when you don't want to. I just think, you know, that maybe speaks to some of her priorities right now or where she's choosing to spend her energy. And so you say, you know, letter writer, I, I would love to have her support. I wonder how likely it is that you will be getting support from her. It just, it seems like she is so determined to spend a lot of time agonizing over this guy and relatively little time, you know, kind of gearing up to have difficult but loving conversations with her friends, which ideally you can, you can have. So I would say at most, you know, I would reach out again and say, I can appreciate that you didn't like how our last conversation went, but it's been really sad to not hear from you at all. I would much rather have like a loving, disagreeing conversation with you than just drop our friendship. If you are up for that, like I'm available to talk. I hope that you'll reach out. I I think that would be kind of the most you could say. And And I would encourage you not to apologize for something that you don't think you did wrong. And again, like she might not like that you advised her to break up with her boyfriend, but you didn't say anything like cruel or or inappropriate that you would need to apologize for. So I would also not encourage you to apologize just in order to get her back. I would co-sign that, Danny. I absolutely would. I think that in this case, things have been tried. Things have been offered. Love has been extended. Honesty was extended. And also, if this is a person, um, the person, the distressed person, not the letter writer, if the distressed person is someone who just really doesn't like conflict, right, which is probably why they don't want advice, because then Mm -hmm. they have to face conflict, that is such a clear message. And also, in the pandemic, different people became obsessive over different things. I would I would advise for space seeking absolutely and also for the letter writer to get some of her boundaries back and some of the some of the energy back that she has been pouring into this person or they have sorry yeah and I think my the only thing that I would add to that is like if in the future letter writer you realize that another friend has been doing something on a similar level for a month or two months say something then before it gets to a year <laughs> Um, and again, it doesn't have to be, you know, you need to do X, Y, or Z. It can just be like, we've been having the same conversation a lot and I would like to put a pin in it. Mm, I love that. God, I love a direct conversation. So good. And and just saying put a pin in it, I, I think gives people a lot of uh, freedom because it's not saying never discuss this with me again or I, I hate you for talking about this. It's just, can we talk about something else for a while? It's a, it's an easier request than than some other ones, so. I hope that's mm. useful, letter writer. Good luck. I'm sorry. It's always hard when someone uh, just kind of ghosts you rather than have a difficult conversation, but I, I'm glad you said something. I don't think that you were getting much support based on the com- kinds of conversations you were having, so I, I guess this might be the, the best, worst option, maybe. Would you take our second letter, please? I would love to. The subject is half open. And the letter says, My husband and I have been discussing the possibility of opening our marriage for a while now. 
the issue we keep running into is that he really wants me to have sex with only women, and maybe non-binary people on a case-by-case basis, as men bring up more jealousy issues for him, having been cheated on with a man in the past relationship. Since he's straight, he would also only be having sex with women. But I think that would be much more limiting for me as a shy bi woman than for him as an outgoing straight man. I'm afraid of getting jealous if he has more lovers than me. It kind of feels like we're both the more anxious partner whose needs should be prioritized. Is there a way that we can navigate this that accommodates both of our needs? I mean, you you almost got to appreciate uh, somebody just going so far as to saying like, and of course, you know, non-binary people who are basically women, and I will let you know which ones I consider basically women or not. Like, that's a real beautiful example of saying it's, the quiet part loud. It's, it, I'm laughing because this is so focused on gender, right? And I'm just like, wow, who... Yeah, is there a classification classification system of like here's you know here here's choice one here's choice two here's choice three, um, which which I'm just like these people are millennials or older to me in the in this case I'm thinking I'm being a little bit ageist right now I guess but there's like so much focus on um, on gender and I just really you know I I just really want to know what that is about I'm fascinated by that yeah I mean. And like we can spend some time trying to unearth possible underlying beliefs uh, that they each seem to carry about what types of partners are likelier to bring up what types of jealousy. Um, and I suppose mm. there's there's some usefulness in that. But I also think that it's, you know, important to acknowledge like if letter writer, you and your partner have been talking about the possibility of opening your marriage for a while now. And it sounds like you're both kind of feeling like preemptively flinchy about the possibility of experiencing jealousy. I I wonder if part of what you're thinking is, is there a series of rules that we can come up with that will make sure we experience almost no new kinds of jealousy or the bare minimum? Mm. And, you know, I I think maybe, but I I think rather than like, I don't know, trying to like put on, I don't know, I'm picturing like somebody going into like a pickup basketball game with like a ton of sports tape around every joint. Like they've got knee braces on and ankle braces on and wrist braces on and elbow Mm. pads and knee pads and a helmet. And it's just like, sure, you can absolutely decide whatever rules feel right for the two of you. But if you are going into this kind of thinking rules are going to be what keeps us from experiencing jealousy and I can just like assign jealousy to one category of person and then not other people. And that's going to be, that's going to keep us safe and calm and relaxed. I, I think you're going to find you experience jealousy in new and exciting ways that you didn't used to. Yes. And so the question is less, how do we make sure we never feel it? And more, what are non-phobic, non judgmental ways of thinking and talking about jealousy that don't require like an immediate shutdown of openness or freaking out or telling myself, just get over it. Because I think Mm. those are some of the most common responses to jealousy that don't seem to lead to any good place. Yes, absolutely. Oh, I love how you put that. And I would also say that at any time I want to try something new, anything new, forget what it is, like from a fashion trend of a very short crop top, which, you know, I mean, honestly, it took me a second to allow myself to try that. And then I had to be like, okay, cool. 
the, the maybe a crop shop is not a perfect example, but bear with me here. Anytime I want to try something new, there's kind of like two things that need to be present. A, I need to trust myself that I'm making a decision that I actually um, could be enjoying. And I also need to have enthusiasm. And I'm feeling like I wonder what the enthusiasm level is on both sides. I'm really curious about that. Or if there's maybe like one of them who's more curious and excited than the other. And also, I do believe for anyone to be open in a marriage or in any relationship, um, I'm not personally in that space, but I have um, friends who are partners and they are open. The thing that's been said to me time and time again, what makes that work is that there is a deep level of trust and past issues of jealousy have been resolved. And Mm -hmm. that is why the opening up works. And so, again, this is not me saying this as someone who has um, opened up her marriage herself, but um, the people who have, that seems to be kind of like a critical piece in their foundation. Yeah, yeah. And this idea of like, if we're both more anxious, then that need should be prioritized, which, uh, you know, kind of hearkening back to what you were saying about that earlier letter, that idea of um, anything that is like fragile or flinchy needs to be prioritized rather than thought of as like a a possible weakness to be strengthened is this idea of like, well, if you feel anxious about something, if you feel hurt, then that means that you're good. And that means that you're in the right. And that means that other people should go out of their way to make you feel better. And I realize that's like a real oversimplification and generalization based on what the letter writer has said here. But I I think I'm familiar enough with this dynamic to have a general sense of, I feel okay, like making a slight generalization there. Um, Mm. And I don't think that that is an important project when it comes to relationships. I think that it is instead much more important to try to think about, you know, when I say something like, I'm afraid I would get jealous if he had more lovers than me. Let's spend a little time with that one. Um, Would you be getting jealous because numbers are incredibly important to you on a personal level? Would you be getting jealous because you would worry that that would say something about your sexual value to an imagined audience that's keeping score? Is there a part of you that assigns certain values to a guy with a lot of girlfriends versus a woman with a lot of boyfriends or girlfriends, and you fear that if it looked like your partner was more sexually exciting or interesting than you, that you would therefore have like a lower value on some sort of like sexual market. And I'm, I'm sorry for speaking in like sort of like incel adjacent terms. I just, it seems to me like there are real questions about like implied uh, value here that are really worth unpacking rather than just saying like, well, obviously if he got more lovers than me and I got jealous, that would just be bad and we would have to stop. Yeah, totally. I think there's like maybe also a lot of, I don't know, I'm like reading between the lines here. I read a lot of like um, old school traditional guilt, you mm-hmm. know, like there, like, again, I'm kind of missing, like, the kinky enthusiasm. The, like, this is going to be fun, but we're trying to resolve these last little bits of things to make sure that it is going to truly only be fun and not something that, like, comes between us. The whole message seems so concerned. The anxiety was jumping off the pages to me. Like, I was reading that and I was like, there is so much anxiety and nervousness here. And to me, it's like, then why push it? You know, why bring this into it? 
and how is the relationship without this question in it? Like, how is the rest of the relationship? Like, how are they doing? What's going on? How long have we been married? Do we have children? Do we have live-in, you know, family? How are we doing in other areas of life? Are we satisfied among the two of them? You know, are we dissatisfied among the two of them? Because I also think that makes a huge difference. Like if you're dissatisfied among the two of you um, and you want to add other people to it, that is also something to bring someone into to maybe be considered about, you know? Don't you think? Like, I'm like, if if your sex life is fantastic and you're like, ooh, we have so much love to give and we're so, like, turned on that we want to share this with more people who we can can love and, like, turn on as well, that's a very different situation than if someone is not in a good place and then wants to bring other people in that not good place. Yeah. So I want to also, like, leave real room for the possibility that they can give this a try, um, if only because I want to give letter writers multiple options. Mm, But, you know, I I think rather than try to adjudicate, okay, how do we actually keep score of who has how many lovers at any given time and make sure that they're equal? You know, there's real questions there that have to do with, like, how much time and energy do you to dedicate to your relationship on its own? And to Mm. that end, I think I would say, you know, talk about designating one or two nights a week as a date night and other nights as, you know, belonging to you. That would be one way of making sure that you're both spending roughly the same amount of time together versus on your own separate relationships and endeavors, but is not about trying to like manage in advance how many lovers the other is allowed to have. Um, God, I love that. I certainly, God, I love that. certainly let a writer do not advise you to, to like, in the privacy of your own heterosexual marriage, rank how non-binary you believe other people to be in order to pass your girl enough test. Obviously, like, you can. It's not illegal. I'm not saying that I'm going to come find you and, like, wag my finger in your face if you do it. I just think that's, like, I'd be a little surprised if, I mean, yeah, I I think that would be a great way to, like, alienate potential non-binary lovers. And I think it's weird. I think it's a weird thing to do. Mm. I I also think like the idea that like, oh, I was once cheated on in the past uh, with a, you know, my partner cheated on me with a guy. Therefore, guys are off limits forever. I think that's bullshit, letter writer. I think that's nonsense. Um, I think that that is ridiculous. First of all, like I'm always so like rendered totally inert and like empathy free when I hear like such and such comes up for my partner because they were cheated on in the past. I'm just always like, well, that wasn't fucking your problem, was it? You didn't do that to them. Like. It is incumbent upon them to figure out how to maintain trust with you without holding you responsible for something that an ex did like 5, 10, 15 years ago. So, mm, Danny, speaking truth to power. I would, whatever whatever power this, this particular husband has over me. Um, yeah, I would just say like I am uninterested in atoning for the sins of your previous partners. I am interested in if we open our relationship – leaving open the possibility of having sex with men. I want to be available to talk to you about how that might make you feel. Um, I'm I'm not going to like steamroll over you here, but neither am I just going to say, yes, darling, you're right. I'll just have fake sex with women who aren't real and are mostly ghosts. Um, I think mm. that's nonsense and obviously sexist. Um, like, uh, I mean, of course it is. Like, And, it, you know, we all get to decide how much sexism we want to put up with uh, in order to prioritize a particular relationship, but I would encourage you to prioritize it a little less here. Mm. Yes, absolutely. I think that's very tasty. And I would add to that, maybe start to just focus on attraction. 
What are you attracted to? And start talking about that. Because I think instead of focusing on the negative, start to focus on the positive and start to really talk about what turns you on and what makes you excited. Yeah. Yeah. And again, you know, I realize that you may not be going into this because you want to cultivate like serious, ongoing emotional relationships with other people. It sounds like you're mostly interested in like possibly ongoing, but mostly sex things, which is fine. But again, like I I think if you think you can go into this and can completely treat other people as like subordinate to your marriage and just as sort of like people you pick up for sex and then put back down, you're kidding yourselves a little bit. Like they are also people. They will have their own preferences, their own, you know, pulls and attractions. And there will definitely be times that one or both of you will feel powerfully about a new lover that you will need to deal with on an emotional level. And so, you know, again, like I don't say any of this to scare you off, but like these are real people, you know, they're not just checklists to check off and they're not just like dolls to play with before you put them back in a box. And and I don't mean that you, you think like you're dehumanizing the letter writer. I just mean like you will get jealous and you will need to figure out a relationship to jealousy that does not just go straight to one, got to get over it. Fuck me for feeling this way. Or two, you have made me feel jealous. You are doing something wrong. You need to stop it right now until I feel better. You really can deal with and look at jealousy without falling apart. I promise you. Oh my God. I mean, and also I want to say, don't we all, you know, in our various ways, like don't we all need to look at jealousy and then think through how it has us on the hook or not. I think that that's, you know, and I I commend anyone who has an open relationship and invites other people into it on a consistent basis, because to me, that is, that requires a lot of energy, you know? And um, exactly like you said, it's not something that you just like, you turn a switch on, you turn a switch off, a person comes in, then you close the door and you send them home. Like there's energy involved, just like in the first one, um, in the first letter, and probably also in the next letter, and then the letter after that. And to me, the question is always, how much energy am I willing to give this X, Y, Z person, issue, topic, experience, and to be really conscious of that because energy is very real. And let's let's face it, our our emotional resources, they they also um need nourishing and they also are finite to some degree. And so that to me, you know, any anyone who's really in touch with how they're spending their energy and who they're sharing their energy with, um, I love those people. I'm crazy about them. I hate that this feels so on the nose, but I think between the like turning switches on and off and also like paying attention to things that run along like a subterranean track, it kind of feels like a perfect segue to move into your book, right? Which has everything to do with like retreating to an underworld and uh, investigating brief snippets of uh, an experience before being rushed along to something else. Oh my God, what a segue, Danny. That is a dream. I mean, what what are open relationships if not uh, emotional subway networks? Probably I mean, that could, a lot of things. Probably a lot of things, but it could also be, we can make a case for it right now. I think that um, the subway to me is really honestly like an absolutely magical space for energy because it's a, it's a space where we're on our way, but we haven't arrived yet. Similarly to your letter writers, they're on their way, but they haven't arrived yet. And they're they're coming to you basically on the subway, which is your podcast, right? And are asking you, um, how do I become who I want to be? 
And that is very similar to um, to what I do to these unknowing readers who I stop in their tracks, pun intended, and say, hi, who are you? In your own words, what are you reading? Why are you reading this? What's on your mind? And hey, by the way, where are you going? And who do you want to become? And in those conversations, um, I don't only get to learn about an individual, but I absolutely get to learn about the collective energy um, of New York City, of a neighborhood, of um, a community, a group of people. And um, it becomes this really intimate view into someone's life that I, of course, otherwise would never get. That's fabulous. And so this, if you can tell us a little bit more about this project specifically, I know that this came out of the Subway Book Review. Yes, it absolutely did. So I'm the creator of Subway Book Review. I've been speaking to readers on the subway for the last seven years. And um, on October 26th, my very first book comes out. It's called Between the Lines, Stories from the Underground. She's a Scorpio. (laughs) She will be born as a Scorpio girl. Her cover is yellow. It is my favorite color, but honestly, it was a crapshoot. It was just a, a color was just assigned to me. And yellow is such a color of, of magic and miracles to me. So I was thrilled. Um, but yes, Between the Lines is really a collection of some of my favorite encounters. And then obviously also um, a ton of new stories that I've never shared anywhere else before. And it's a chaptered experience. So you can dive into a chapter that's called Power or Legacy. Um, you can also dive in a chapter that's called Trees or waves because those are very valuable as well. And um, we need to think about all of these things to, you know, better understand our place in the world and how we apply ourselves with intention. And um, I believe that this book is going to give people a lot of perspective and also hope. I am so excited and I hope very much that you get to do at least one event um, on the subway, although I'm sure that that would be more than a little difficult to manage. Oh, Danny. I mean, I've thrown a surprise party on the train before for the five-year anniversary, and I gave away 400 books to unsuspecting commuters. And that was so much fun. Oh, the G train, of course. It's my favorite. It's the shortest. It's the little runty one in the family. But he has so much personality. He has the cutest eyes. And... um, You know, it it was just it was just right. So, yeah, we did that. We had a dance party. There were dancers. There were party hats. There was a woman who was absolutely doing legal work, strapped on a party hat and then went back to underlining her contracts while like singing along to the song that we were playing. So it was, you know, it was unbeknownst to us shortly before the pandemic in late 2019. And um, had we known, I would have gone even bigger. You know, there would have been champagne or something. But I mean, maybe not champagne, but you know what I mean? There would have been like some like confetti cannons or mm-hmm. I don't know, something would have gone down that was even more spectacular. But um, that was very fun. And then I'm currently working on something that I'm very excited about that's maybe too soon to speak of, but I don't care. I'm going to manifest it into existence right now. Um, I'm working on a collaboration with the MTA on an underground pop-up bookshop oh in Union gosh. Square. Yeah. So that's going to come to us hopefully in November, December for three weeks, three week pop up, the Between the Lines bookstore. And you so could keep an never do this that. with cars. And you could never do this with cars. Such is true. Which this is, is just very true. Another reason to eventually get rid of them all. A hundred percent. 
why would you isolate in a car that is perfectly luxurious when you could be on a subway sweating with hundreds of other people? I'm just kidding. The subway is honestly the best. I, I mean, mean, yes, you will be sweating with other people. If your hope is to sweat less, then you got to get out of the car. <laughs> like if you want a world that's not just getting hotter and hotter by the day, you got to get rid of the cars. Also that, um, you know, but also there's also that. the upsides of you could, uh, you know, have a party or read a book, which is much more difficult to do if you are driving. It's all more difficult if you're driving. It's so difficult, honestly. Think about how many difficulties you run in when you're driving. And think about how relaxed truly you are if you find a seat on the subway. You really can have a relaxed time. And I say this as someone who rides the subway obsessively, right? I have ridden every train line front to back in all five boroughs. Staten Island, I haven't. I have not ridden every train line front to back. I'll be very honest. Staten Island, I have visited very infrequently because it takes me so much time to get there. It is absurd. Um... But, you know, in the other boroughs, I've really like hosed it down. And um, there are days when I just get on a train and I treat it like I'm on a surfboard and I just let it carry me. And I know this sounds cheesy as hell, but this is really true. And I just see where I need to be and I follow my intuition. And it's such a good practice for that to just kind of, you know, relax into it. And then when I feel called to make a transfer and jump from the G to the A and then like maybe take the A up and then, you know, hop off and and catch an F train and um, at West 4th Street Station or hang out there for a while. That's when I meet the best people and that's when the best conversations find me. And I think sometimes we're so focused on making something happen that we forget that doing nothing can also be incredibly effective and that space and time and letting that unfold as it may is something that can be so healing and that can be so the right move um, it just teaches me that over and over again. And maybe there's also something in that for the letter writers that sometimes it's not on you to make the next move. Sometimes you need to wait for the next move to happen and you'll find all the answers in that. I love that. What a day. Danny, what a day. All in a day's work. So many letters, so little time. But yet again, it's been done. How do you do it? How do you do it, Danny? I mean, I do it with the help of people like you. Mm. It's such a pleasure. It's such a pleasure to get these letters. It's such a pleasure to think about these things because obviously they apply to so many other situations. So I'm thrilled that we had this time together. I am too. Thank you so, so much and have a fabulous rest of your day. Thank you, Danny. I'll see you on that G train. Thanks for joining us on Big Mood, Little Mood with me, Danny Lavery. Our producer is Phil Circus, who also composed our theme music. Don't miss an episode of the show. Head to slate.com slash mood to sign up, to subscribe, or hit the subscribe button on whatever platform you're using right now. Also, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts if you get a minute. We'd love to know what you think. If you want more Big Mood, Little Mood, you should join Slate Plus, Slate's membership program. Members get an extra episode of Big Mood, Little Mood every Friday, and you'll get to hear more advice and conversations and interview questions with our guests. And as a Slate Plus member, you'll also be supporting the show. Go to slate.com forward slash mood plus to sign up. It's just $1 for your first month. If you need some little advice or big advice and you'd like me to read your letter on the show, head to slate.com slash mood to find our big mood, little mood listener question form or find a link in the description of the platform you're using right now. Thanks for listening. And here's a preview of our Slate Plus episode coming this Friday. 
the implicit claim there is like, if her father hadn't been abusive, she would love to backpack and she would want to go to Soul Cycle with me and we would just be fucking working out together all the time. <laughs> um, Everybody would have 10 Pelotons. Yeah, just like, citation needed, please. Like, where are mm. you getting that idea? I don't know that your mother would have loved backpacking. Again, I don't want to like knock your enjoyment of that activity, but this idea that like there's some mythically better thin version of your mother whose freedom from being abused is incredibly bound up in her like thinness. I think that's really damaging to the mother that you have. To listen to the rest of that conversation, join Slate Plus now at slate.com forward slash mood.